Well, good to be in the house of the Lord again. Take, take your copy of the Word of God, please, and go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I hope that uh, you are reading along uh, in our passage as we study the Word of God. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me, of course. Um, it's just, it's good being, being immersed in the Word of God. And uh, uh, it's interesting to go through, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's always been a blessing to me is reading through the Bible and seeing things in the past in the text that, bring, that God brings to your attention. And you go back there and you see all those things out. Uh, I, have, I have a friend of mine, uh, actually one of our supporting missionaries, and he, he's in an undisclosed location. Uh, but he, on a regular basis, at least he used to, used to read the entire Bible from cover to cover in one month. And not just one time, one month, he'd read it again in February, read it again in March. And so I was challenged by that, and I set out to do it. And I did it in 66 days, and it took a lot out of me. Uh, it took uh, about probably six or seven hours of reading every day. And one of the things that jumped out to me the most was when you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, when God refers maybe to the Exodus or refers to something else, you're like, well, I just read that like yesterday or the day before. So it's all real fresh in your mind. That's the, the biggest blessing I see from that. Uh, there's many ways to study the Word of God, and uh, that's just one of them. And the way we're trying to do it is to be immersed in one epistle at a time or one book of the Bible at a time. And it is over and over again. And probably about the seventh or eighth time reading into it, or maybe about halfway through the month, you get to see some patterns. You get to see some things jump out to you, some repetition uh, from the author. Uh, of course, God's the author, but you see the human author, Paul, repeating himself and really driving home some points here. And I think that's, I think that's pretty important here. Uh, last week, we, we began this epistle, uh, reading through the first couple, our first couple of verses there of chapter 1, and we really walked away, I hope, with a stirred heart, uh, a stirred heart to, to continue in the things of God, to, can, to continue in what the Lord has for us in front of us uh, as Christians. And we're kind of going to continue a little bit in that theme, that mindset, if you will. And I want you to pick up your reading right there in verse number 11 of chapter 1. Uh, before you get to that, I just want to... Uh, put you in remembrance like Paul put us in remembrance. Uh, as, as Shannon already mentioned, God's not given us the spirit of fear. In verse 8, he talks about us not being ashamed of the Lord. Uh, in verse 9, it, it talks about how God has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, praise the Lord, but according to His. But He's now made manifest. And verse 11 says, Where I, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which is, I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith, and love, which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they that, were, that are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom is Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and found me. The Lord... Grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Notice verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong 
in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. For the opportunity, Lord, as saints, as your redeemed children, Lord, as, as your bought children, Lord. Lord, first of all, we can't get over the fact that, that you became one of us, Lord. That you took our sin to, and nailed it to that old rugged cross, Lord. We're very thankful for that, Lord. Help us to never get over that. Help us to get excited. Help us, Just the mention of the cross, just stir our hearts, Lord, for you. And Lord, and we thank you for the cross. And we're thankful that we can gather, uh, gather around your word this morning. And to see you high and lifted up, Lord. Lord, I do pray for the message this morning. Lord, help me to convey what you've given me. Lord, help me to, to pass along that, that fire that you've given me, Lord, into, into, the, into the church here this morning, Lord. And I am as just a part of the, of the church as anyone here, Lord. I am in the pews, Lord. I am no one different, Lord. And I need you. And I need the preaching of your word. I need it to speak to my heart. And to my soul and to my mind, Lord, help it to stir me in a way that encourages others to live right, Lord. And number one, uh, above all, Lord, may it bring glory to you, Lord. May my life and may the life of this church, may the life of each and every one of us here, Lord, bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, and we thank you very much for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so going through this test, considering that this is, I think I mentioned this last week, Apostle, the Apostle Paul's last letter to Timothy. His last letter. And it is evident that Peter, or that Paul rather, had a great desire for Timothy to stay the course. He wanted him to stay the course. Uh, from his references, and we put both of these things together here, both of these epistles, from his references to fighting the good fight of faith, uh, to enduring as a soldier, preaching the word later on in chapter 4. He wanted Timothy, and here's where I get the title of this message this morning, he wanted Timothy to hold the line, to hold the line. So that's kind of our message this morning. I want to challenge you as God has challenged me, hold the line, to hold the line. You know, many times holding the line truthfully and very practically enables us to advance the line. To advance the line. Paul says, look at um, verse 13 again. Hold fast the form of sound doctrine. Hold what you got. Hold on to the truth. You know, I like stories and I like history. In 1944, there was an, a, a unit called the 51st Combat Engineer Battalion. And they landed on the beaches of Normandy 21 days after the first day. So D plus 21. And if you look at their history, they did not have an interesting lineage. They were kind of just put together a few years before that. One of their redeeming qualities was they were together for two years uh, before being deployed. Uh, but they were, they were an en engineer battalion, so they're not a front-line battalion. Uh, they were, even though they're trained in infantry tactics, as many soldiers are, but they were combat engineers. They were, they were much like those, those Jews in Nehemiah's time. They were building the temple with one hand on the trowel and one hand on the sword. You know, this is, this is kind of what these folks were doing in, in World War II times. Now, they were used to block roads and blow up bridges and often were embedded one in individuals as a unit. And they're still done like that today many times. But on this special day in history, things were about to change for this, for this unit. And if you don't know anything about history, we know that Normandy happened and, you know, the Allied forces dropped in there and they started to advance uh, eastward across the continent there through France and Belgium and on to Germany, uh, to Benelux, as they call it. 
And the German army, for the most part, at that point, had been retreating since Normandy. Um, but they had secretly mounted, secretly to this unit, had mounted a counteroffensive. And it was a deadly counteroffensive. Um, and so on December 16, 1944, the German army attacked the northern flank of the American line with a superior and more powerful force. There was an infantry battalion there, the 106, I think it was, and it all but decimated every single company. It was nothing left. But the equipment was gone. Soldiers were killed. And within a matter of hours, the 51st Engineer Battalion was on the front line. They were not dug in. They didn't have trenches. They didn't have any of those things. They were not made. They were made to operate behind the front lines. And the hole in the line exposed a network of avenues and trails into the, into the Allied forces' core power that could easy be, easily be used to split and destroy. And the whole Normandy movement would have been stalled at least so the army, the Allied forces, hurried to plug that hole that was just caused by the German army and decimated that infantry battalion. The only problem with what they had, it would take five days. It, it would take five days to reinforce that little line there, and it took only the German army a few hours to decimate a battalion of infantrymen. So the 51st was forced to fight. They were forced to hold the line, and they did. For five very long days, the 51st Combat Engineer Battalion held an impossible line with two casualties. If you're ever in the, interested in history, study it, Google it, and look at their battle. It's, it's quite amazing. Their efforts were brave, and their stick to if you will, enabled the Allied forces to recover and continue their advance, ending the war just a few months later. I say all that to say this. As Christians today... We must hold the line. We must hold the line. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the suffering, regardless of the ridicule that we might face here in Germany or in America or any, any place that we live, we must hold the line. And you know what I'm talking about. Right? We have a, a standard to bear. We have Jesus is our commander-in-chief. And we as Christian soldiers, as Paul's going to liken us to next month, there in chapter 2, we are to hold the line. In verse 13, again, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. It's not the thrust of this message this morning, but we are to hold the line in love. Not in any other way, but we are to hold the line in love. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, Paul said that he suffered many things because he was a preacher, because he was an apostle. And we too as Christians again, must hold the line no matter what, even if persecution comes our way, even if they call us Bible thumper or whatever it may be in the workplace or home, even in the family, we must hold the line no matter what suffering comes our way. In fact, verse 12 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, the Bible states that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. The fact of the matter is, Many times Christians don't suffer persecution because this verse isn't true in their lives. This verse isn't true in my life. We must live a godly life. We must hold the line. Listen, look at the world. Look at the news. Look at your social media. It seems as if there is an onslaught against Christianity these, these days. From the watering down of Bible doctrines to the flat-out rejection of biblical principles, the times are changing. Times are changing. Even professing Christians 
as Paul wrote about here, they're going to swerve from the faith. They're going to shipwreck their testimony and their fellowship with the Lord. But you and I must hold the line. This is not just a a sound good motivational speech. This is real spiritual warfare. We must hold the line. We must hold the line. You and us, you and I must stay there and stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers, individual believers must hold the line. Christian families must hold the line. Us as a church, we must hold the line. We must stand for truth even when it's not popular or cool. Even when it's tough, we got to hold the line. Ephesians 6.13 states that we are to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul just says stand. We must stand. And that verse again was not written just because it sounded good. Paul's like, oh, this sounds awesome. It didn't just serve as a motivator to those who were reading it. No evil days are here and we must stand. They've always been here, but they're going to wax worse and worse. And we need to hold the line as Christians, true, blood-bought, born-again believers. We must hold the line. And personally, as I look through this text, I believe God, through Paul, gave Timothy and us many ways through which we can hold the line. I think this entire epistle here, uh, this last letter from Timothy to Paul, is an encouragement for him to hold the line. And as we'll talk about here, as we go through the sermon here, also to advance that line. It begins with holding the line, though. Look at verse 14 again. He says, That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. The first way we're going to hold the line today is simply to keep the faith. We must keep the faith. We must keep the faith. You know, after reading this verse... If you really want to look at that, it says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep. Our first question was, What, what was committed to Timothy? That's a, I think that's a, a reasonable question there. We'll take your Bibles and go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Put it, different, put it differently, he could say, Timothy, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Hold fast the form of sound words. You heard them from me. You heard them from me in faith. Hold on to them. Keep that thing which is committed unto thee. Keep that unfeigned faith we talked about last week. That's in, that is, that's in um, Timothy and, and his mother Eunice and, and, his, and his grandmother. Keep that unfeigned faith. That real faith that doesn't have hypocrisy. That's genuine, authentic faith in God. Hold on to it. Keep it. Keep the faith. Keep it ab- above all things paramount. Hold the line. And again, I think I mentioned this last week as well. We are not just to keep the faith just for the sake of keeping the faith. The 51st Engineer Battalion just didn't hold that line just to hold the line. They didn't. It wasn't in that. We didn't find our source of energy in that. There's no foundation in that, to be honest with you. Our faith is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we are and all that we purpose to do must be in Christ. 
It must be in Christ. Why? Because He is the one who enables us. I mean, are we glad that we are in Christ? Is that something that excites us? Imagine the alternative. We would be without hope on a one-way ticket to a place called hell where God doesn't exist. Or He exists, of course, but He's not there. It's a place that separates the soul from God. We don't want to be there. And that we're not there by His merit and not of our own should stir us up with excitement. We are not there. We have faith in Christ. In In 2 Timothy verse 12... Uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul wrote that I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Do you know who you have believed? Do you know him? Not just know him that he exists and, and even more than knowing him as your Savior. Philippians 3, Paul talks about, I have a desire to know him more. I want to apprehend that for that which I was apprehended of. He wants to really understand who Jesus is. Do you know him? Paul can write, I know who I believe in. Do you? It makes a difference. Paul is persuaded that he is able, God is able to keep the things that I've committed unto him. I will live my whole life. I can keep the faith because he remains faithful. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think to be completely persuaded that he is able means that we are all in. You know, there's no such thing as a halfway disciple of Christ. It's either all or nothing. Following Jesus is a whole person concept. Keeping the faith is therefore synonymous with consistently leaning on Jesus. Always leaning on Jesus and simply knowing that He is. You know, in the Old Testament, if you all remember when the, when the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were separated, you can kind of picture that. And Hezekiah was the king of the, the southern kingdom, the Assyrian army. I think you mentioned it in maybe one of your, your sermons there on a Sermon on the Mount. But the Assyrian army came in and they circled all of the, the, the northern or the southern kingdom, rather. And on, this, on the outskirts, on the border of the, of, the, uh, of the perimeter there, the Assyrian soldiers would meet with the Jewish soldiers. And one of the things, the messages from the Assyrian king to the Jewish soldiers was, don't lean on your God. Don't lean on your God. The other countries and the other cities, they leaned on their God and it failed them. So don't lean on your God. By contrast, God told Hezekiah in a different passage, leaning on anything other than me is like holding your hand on a staff and it going right through your hand. Lean on me, God says. Lean on me. Paul is persuaded that God is able Again, there's no such thing as a halfway discipleship. Keeping the faith is connected to knowing that God is. Hebrews 11.6 states that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. Must believe that He is. He, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the only one who will be there for you who will always be there for you. I've told all of my children uh, at one point or another that the only relationship they can always depend on is that with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will always be there. And that's the most important relationship any of us could have. He never leaves. Period. Learn to lean on Jesus. I know it's a great song. Leaning on the everlasting arms, but we must learn to lean on Jesus. Learn to trust Him. Listen, people are going to let you down. 
Social media is going to let you down. Governments are going to let you down. Your best friend is going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. Your pastor will let you down. But notice verse 15 of 2 Timothy. Paul writes, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. They let him down. They walked away. You know another story of Mark. They forsook him. Look at verse, uh, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And look at verse 16. Chapter 4 of verse 16. Paul writes again, At my first answer, no man stood with me. No man. But all men forsook me. He was by himself. But notice verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see, we must keep a personal faith in Jesus Christ. In Him. In Him. He must be real. He, has, he must be realer, more real than the person sitting next to you. He must be closer to you than your spouse or your children or your boss or whatever. He must be your very best friend. You must lean on Him more than anything. Remember the charge that was committed to Timothy? He was to war a good warfare on behalf of Jesus Christ. He was charged to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold on eternal life, to hold fast the form of sound words, to keep the faith. That was his charge, to hold the line. And all of that is centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be nowhere else. It's centered on the Son of the living God. Keep your faith in Jesus. In Jesus. Keep your faith in Him and never waver. There's going to be times... Remember we talked about the swerving in the last, uh, <clears throat> last month or last week or so or something like that, how things in life just knock us off course from serving our God. That's the swerving. As Christians, we don't always swerve on purpose. Sometimes we do. Many times we do. But sometimes things just knock us off course. Make it a point to get back on course and serve the Lord. Keep it centered. Keep your whole life centered on Jesus Christ. Never waver. Hold that line. Look at verse 12 again. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So verse 14, uh, continuing on from verse 12, then speaks of being committed to him in which we believe through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that chapter closes out. We've already read that chapter. closes out with some who forsake Paul and some who are a blessing with Paul after the initial forsaking. But no matter what, Look how he begins verse or chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must not only keep the faith, but we must trust the Lord. We must trust the Lord. You know, if we have any hope of holding the line, we must trust in the grace provided in the cross. It must be by the grace of the cross. We must be strong in that grace. We must believe it with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at, I'll just read it to you. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. We must be strong in that grace. Now, I realized this morning that our first point was to keep the faith. And this is something every Christian should commit to do. But it truly begins with trusting God. It truly begins with trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Being strong in grace, being strong in God's grace, has much to do with trusting in the Lord. For it is by grace we are saved. We are, it is by grace we are saved. It is by grace we are secured. And it is by grace we are sanctified. So number one, we are saved by grace. Think about this for a moment. If you were to read this today, how, how does one, how does a Christian be strong in the grace provided by someone else? How do we do that? How does one be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, for one, I think, again, Ephesians 2.8 is applicable here, which states, For by grace are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So it's by grace that we are saved. So the very first step of being strong in the grace is the step towards the old rugged cross. That's how we begin to be strong in the grace. We must acknowledge that we are a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess our sins to Him. That's our first step of being strong in the grace. Because you know what? His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is enough. The cross is enough. There's never a time in history where the cross is not enough. It is always enough. Trust Him. You know, on one hand, for those, who are, for those of us who already know the power of redemption, we know that the grace of God provided through the cross is by far sufficient. We know, we, by faith, we realize that there's greatness in the cross. It's, it, it, it boggles our mind, the, the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that. But on the other hand, if you begin to look at your, your life and yourself and your person through the lens of the Bible and from the viewpoint of God's holiness, it has to be by grace. It has to be by grace. There's no other way. We cannot even come close to achieving it. In other words, our sin nature and, and sin itself is extremely wicked. Only grace is stronger. Only grace is more holy than our, our sin is wicked. We need God's grace. We need God's grace. Isn't that great? Uh, Romans 5.20, uh, Paul writes, where sin abounded. What did grace do? It went much further. Grace did much more abound. Praise God. And isn't it also great that God's grace doesn't stop at salvation? It doesn't stop at salvation. I guess you can put this next point it's kind of connected with salvation, but it secures us. It secures our position in Christ. Granted, we all, every single one of us, lost or saved, believer, atheist, anything you want to call, we all experience God's grace on this planet. You're breathing, you're experiencing God's grace. But salvific grace, the grace that comes from salvation, began at the cross. It begins when you recognize the cross and it continues on into eternity. Keeping the faith, therefore, is tied to being strong in the grace. We can keep the faith because we are strong in the grace. We can keep the faith because we are strong in the grace. In other words, we know that we are saved. We know that we're saved. We are strong in that grace. We know with conviction that whatever sin, whatever sin befalls us, God's grace is greater. That's being strong in the grace. We get there through salvation and it's secure. It secures us. Being strong in the grace is knowing that I have a home in heaven and nothing I can do could ever change that because it's not based on me. Praise God. It's based on God's grace. Be strong in that grace. 
God's grace is greater than all our sin. We are not just saved. We are confident we are saved. It makes a difference. And this confidence, again, is not rooted in our works, but rooted in His. We can be confident because His grace is enough. And it cannot be a weak conviction. This has to be a strong conviction. I know I've been down that road. There are times like, well, I might lose my salvation today. Or I might do this. I might sin or I might sin this. That changes your walk with the Lord. Be confident in the grace that God's provided. Trust in Him completely. And it will change your whole demeanor in life. It will revolutionize your walk with the Lord. Have a strong conviction in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Strength in God's grace is connected to our salvation in Christ, our security in Christ, and then also is connected to our sanctification in Christ. Remember Ephesians 2.10? We've already mentioned 8 and 9. But verse 10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God created us unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is not talking about when you were born into this world. This is talking about your second birth. You are a new creation to do good works. That is how you were made to be. So it's possible is what I'm getting at. That's the point of your creation. Your, your, your new life in Christ is unto good works. Think about this. We certainly didn't earn our salvation. No Christian would say that. We didn't earn our salvation through good works. So how could we keep our salvation through good works? How could we be more like Christ through good works if we didn't become a child of God through good works? And regarding works-based sanctification, Paul asked the Galatian church. I love the book of Galatians. It's a lot of pointed discussions. But he says this, Are you so foolish to the Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, if your salvation didn't come by good works, why would your sanctification come by good works? The answer is that it does not. Salvation is by grace and sanctification is by grace. And knowing that, being strong in that, helps us to surrender all that we are to Him. To surrender. When we surrender all that we are to Him, those good works start to work through us. God works through us. And you can see very clearly that it's all from Him and not from us. Having a strong conviction that my sanctification is by grace, by the grace of God, it enables me not to be derailed, not to be knocked off course or swerved left or right, not to be derailed by my own shortcomings. In fact, the opposite is true. When we give a, our whole life to the Lord, we trust the Lord, we're strong in the grace, we're strong in our salvation, we're secure in that salvation, we're strong in the sanctification of that. The opposite is true. Because when I surrender my will to God's will, when I surrender my will and you surrender your will, and I'm talking about every aspect of your life. I'm not talking about just on Sundays. I'm talking our whole life. Not only will we be empowered to keep the faith, not only will we be able to hold an impossible line, we will be used of God. Think about that. We'll be used of God to help others do the same in their life. Notice verses 1 and 2 again of chapter 2. Paul writes, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others 
also, like the soldiers of the 51st Combat Engineer Battalion, holding the line was more than just watching my 10 and 2. It's more than just watching my sector, but going further for the greater cause. Not just being a part in the greater part of things, but being a usable part. Meat for the master's use and for Christians, holding the line is keeping the faith, trusting the Lord, and passing the torch. Passing the torch. Look at that verse again. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You know, the second to our own walk with the Lord, I think this is the most important task for any Christian and probably the one most undone. We are to pass the torch. One of the consistent themes throughout the entire Old Testament was to pass on to the next generation what God did for that generation and previous generations. Writing about how one should speak of God's nation and how God's people will always be God's people, the last two verses of Psalm 48 state this. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God. Forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. We must pass the torch, friends. This, most of us 50 years from now will not be in this building here. It'll all be filled by some new people. Are we going to pass the torch? Or will it just be an empty building, maybe turn into apartments? Maybe Holmfield's Baptist won't be here anymore. We must pass the torch. The only way we can secure the next generation is to tell them. To teach to them. And this is partly what Paul is telling Timothy to do. But not just to the next generation, to every generation. We must teach it to those who are older than us. We must teach it to our peers. And we must teach it to those who are younger than us. What we have heard, we must tell the world. The same commit thou to faithful men. If we've heard it, we must share it. You know, and the word used for man here, look at this. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. That word is anthropos. That means humanity. That means all men. We're, commit, we're supposed to commit this message to all people. We're to teach everybody the word of God for their own sakes and for those they will reach. But if you notice, if you kind of pay attention to this chapter or this verse here, there are actually three imperatives in this verse. In this one little verse. He says, and it begins with the things that thou hast heard of me. So first we must get the word. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about being saved or baptized. All those things are in the past already. This is getting the word. It's about knowledge, spiritual growth, sanctification where you can be a help to somebody else. You know, when I began getting more serious about my life as an adult, when you get married... That kind of makes you a little bit more serious. And I, and I get that. I probably, I probably, my maturity probably doubled when I got married. And then when you have your first child, the responsibility just weighs. And you start to mature very quickly. You, you should anyway. And it just, it just happens. And as you go on and on and on, uh, probably about my, my late 20s, I started really getting serious about my walk with the Lord. I was a Christian when I was 19. But I started getting serious about it. And when I began to get more serious about college and education, I actually began my studies with a major in criminal justice. 
I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> when I got out of the Army. Um, but I wanted to do something. And I thought about getting out of the military and being a police officer. I actually served as a police officer for a couple of years, or a year and a half, actually. Uh, I thought that might be the path, so I took some classes in criminal justice. That was my degree. And as I studied what was important in my life as a father and as a husband, and more importantly as a Christian, I came to the conclusion that I should know the most. Now, I wasn't thinking Christian or a religion here at this first point. I should, know the, I should know the most about the most important things in life. Makes sense, right? If being a father is very important, I should know a lot about being a father. If being a husband is very important, I should know a lot about being a husband and so forth. As a soldier, I should, be, I should know as much as I can about whatever, whatever I'm supposed to do. Now, I truly didn't want to change the trajectory of my life that I set for my life, keyword I, but the more I prayed about it, the more I thought on that concept, the more I had a desire for the Word of God. It was just natural. I set out to look for the most important thing in my life, and I found it here. As a Christian, I already found it. This is where it's at. Again, I didn't want to change the trajectory of my life, but the more I studied, the more I was driven to the Word of God. I needed more of God's truth in my life. I realized that if the Word of God, if it's truly the most important book on this planet, I needed to get the most out of this book. I mean, think about that. If this is the, if this truly, if you have the conviction that this is the most important book on this planet, why will we know anything more about anything else? This is where the truth is at. And I realized that. So I started to really jump into this book and I couldn't get enough of it. I needed to get the most of it. And as a family, it was around this time when we began to be more committed to God's house. It didn't matter what subject the pastor preached on or taught from. I never wanted him to stop. I wanted to keep on listening. I needed to get the most out of this book. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek service, Bible college, one-on-one counseling. I just couldn't get enough of God's word. Eventually, my family and I surrendered to God's call into full-time ministry. But I want to point out something, very, remind us all again, that even though this passage here is written to Timothy, it's written to us. We don't have to be a preacher. We don't have to be a missionary or a full-time ministry. This book is written to all believers. We all need to be getting the word, if you will. As much as we can, we must get the word. There is no such thing as hearing too many sermons at your local church. Be all in. Give your life to Christ. We need to be getting the most of it. And as we are getting the word, we are not just to soak it up without question. We're actually to be quite Berean. We're not supposed to just be a sponge and just say, yes, yes, yes. We're supposed to understand it. We're supposed to grasp the word. We're supposed to grasp the word. Later on in this chapter, verse 15, Paul says, study to show thyself approved unto God. You can't do that just sitting here and just buying everything that I say. You must yourself grasp the word, get into the book, and study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, when Paul chastened the Corinthian church, he wrote this. He, has, he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Why were they not able? The next verse tells us, it says, for ye are yet carnal. They were more concerned with the world than they were with the word. 
with the, with the worldly more than the spiritual. Now, friends, if we truly believe, again, that we hold the words of our very Creator in our hands, it should be the most important thing that's in our hands and in our life. And as we kind of move to this third imperative under this last point, we are to give the word. We are to give the word. It's obvious that we can only teach what we know. Verse 6 of this chapter says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. We have to get it. We have to grasp it. And then we give it. We cannot effectively give it unless we are effectively grasping it. And honestly, I think there are more than a few Christians who have performed the first two steps here. Over and over again. As we learn scriptures, we, we get the word. We've been saved for a while. I was one of them. We get saved for a while. We get taught the word of God. We build our own foundation of knowledge on the Bible. We begin to grasp it. But there's people who leave this planet after living 80 or 90 years who never give it. Let's not be one of those. Let's give the word. Let's give the word. You know, similar to our garden hose, the water is turned on wide open in our lives. We drink from it very often, but we never water the garden. We must be a blessing to others. We must share the word of God. Share what you know. Teach the book. Pass the torch to your children. To others, to, to anybody who will listen, pass the torch. Much of what every generation in the Old Testament dealt with, the, the nation of Israel, was because they didn't pass the torch. And much of what we experience today outside the church and inside the church is because the torch is not being passed. We must pass the torch. Listen, God has charged me, and I believe He's charged all of us to hold the line in our lives, to hold the line in this community, to keep the faith, to trust the Lord, be strong in His grace. And please, if you really believe that Christ is the answer to this lost and dying world, Pass the torch. Pass the torch. Let's pray.